All right, everybody, welcome back to another week. I'm here again with a much anticipated return guest. I've got Carla back and we had talked about mass formation and the tipping point last time you were on. And uh, I know you have a lot of thoughts on the progress of everything in Canada. I do too. And I'm excited to get into it with you today. So how are you doing? I'm I'm pretty great, Zach. Um, since our last podcast and uh, my article, The Tipping Point, there's been a, a whole host of other uh, horrendous points of progress down this dystopian trajectory. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I thought that we could talk about, uh, you know, what what's new and absurd and appalling this week. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, we've got a lot to talk about. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how long you've got, but we've got a lot to talk about, I'm sure. Um, yeah. So, I mean, apart from everything going on, how have you been doing? How are you holding up? Uh, you know what? I've been I've been really good. We uh, we moved our family to uh, a really rural bush uh, living setup. So our, our house is in the woods. Uh, we're separated from town with ice road. And I spend all my time out here in the woods working from home with my kids and, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm not in it. You know, I don't have to see masks every day. I don't have to see, um, the closures of business. I'm just like really simply living out here. Um, and yeah, that, that feels good. So we're good. Family's good. Kids have been doing online school again, cause, uh, I'm in Ontario here and we got shut down. Um, so yeah, the kids are at home with me and you know what? I like it. I like having them home with me right now. That's pretty cool. I, I like that you're able to kind of take the silver lining. So I mean, that does sound awesome, like that more rural type of living. It's something uh, yeah, I, I would love to do uh, one day, but right now it's not really feasible with the, with the really young kids. But I must yeah. say I'm slightly jealous of that. And it's crazy. It's been, uh, well, it was October that we, we had talked about all this. And, you know, I had hoped that by now a lot of this would have blown over, not escalated but you know here we are again with school closures is there any plan of your kids going back to in-school learning or I mean even if you choose not to put your kids back is there plans for it in Ontario's future yeah they're going to go back on Monday it's strange it was a really quick 30 second decision to take them out of school Mm -hmm. um, provincial decision and then just as quickly they seem to snap back and put them back in school early on Monday it's it's kind of strange it has, it has some people feeling a little um, uneasy about the decision. And, you know, for me, I kid, kids are not at risk. Statistically, healthy children are not at risk. So I don't understand why they haven't been in school this, this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't know how the, the health minister has been stating it out there, but here we have Bonnie Henry in BC and she's been pretty fervent since the beginning that uh, that schools haven't been a hotbed of infection or any any real major staple in transmission. We had we had a one week delay in the kids getting back to school from Christmas break, which was frustrating for a lot of people. And then but they did stick to, you know, just that one week delay. So we're they're back at it now. But um, yeah, it's just more of that chaos, right? Like just throwing confusion, <laughs> like just just little disruptions into everything it feels like. Yeah, it, I'm starting to wonder, like, if it really is just in, incompetence at this point, or if that is some sort of psychological warfare, because, you know, that that original article I wrote about the tipping point was 
there are all these um, very worrisome steps that our government is taking and why isn't anyone noticing? And, and what I've noticed with these extreme um, headlines in the news, for example, they're really alarmist, they're really triggering and it, it'll frighten people and then they get like a period of relaxation and then something else, a new threat comes up and they everyone gets triggered and then they get relaxed. It's wearing everybody out to the point of apathy. Um, and I feel like people really aren't noticing anymore the, the steps that have stuck, the things that we should be worrying about because they're just so burnt out. Burnt out and quite practically busy. Mm-hmm. Our healthcare workers are fighting a health battle and they are overwhelmed and exhausted and doing everything they can to legitimately help people. Our educators are in the exact same boat. They're constantly uh, in school, out of school, dealing with measures, children, upset parents, like they're overwhelmed. Then you have all the business owners that are just trying to keep their businesses open. And this has been going on for two years. I think everyone's too burnt out and busy to really notice like the bigger picture, just like that movie, Look Up. Like, I don't think anyone's looking up anymore. We're like looking at the ground and the ground's keeping us really busy. I keep meaning to watch that movie. I just haven't gotten around to it. I saw like reviews all over Facebook, like just friends posts, but I haven't gotten around to seeing that one yet, but I, I definitely should. It's worth it. It yeah. is. It's it's supposedly based off of climate change, but you know, it's it's so relevant to everything that's going on. Essentially, a, a small group of scientists going against the status quo, going against the masses, um, shaking everyone, saying, pay attention to me, and just really inept leaders that are not listening to people with very good data, very practical. Um, data worth listening to they're just being ignored oh well yeah that sounds right up my alley I'll definitely watch it then. <laughs> that's awesome yeah and I, I think you made some good points too with like um, you know I, I think the official term that they're calling it now is COVID fatigue that that level of apathy that you're talking about at least that's what I'm seeing in headlines now um, and I yeah I understand I I can get it I mean I think at the same time like recently like the restrictions placed in bc anyway like we've had uh casinos open you know uh pubs open um but they shut down gyms for whatever reason like all physical activity has been shut down and uh and now i think that's starting to shake a few people to to a bit more of this stuff because they're they're saying well this is nonsensical like why can we why can we go there but we can't go to the gym we can't take care of our health and this is now you know um, whether it be double dosed or triple dosed people are, are all saying the same thing. They're like, well, this doesn't make any sense. Like, what are we doing here? And it's like, right. <laughs> That's what I've been saying for a while. Like yeah. this, this doesn't make sense. And so, I mean, I, I don't know, again, like, I know I've said it to you off mic, but like some of me is a bit, um, optimistic about this because I think, I think there's really only, you know, when every, every, obstacle in this this whole pandemic is a nail like the only thing you can do is smash it with a hammer and that's all that the government and that the the response has been is to just clamp down lock down smash things to bits but you know that's their only weapon in their in their arsenal so the more that they do it the more people are kind of like well what the heck are we doing here then like is this just supposed to last forever like and that's uh i do think some more people are starting to become kind of aware of that perspective or that point of view at least 
Yeah. And, and just all these tools um, with media and from our government where there's these simple repeated phrases again and again and again, like you can really see how people are becoming victims to this, like previous to this like campaign, would you have ever called someone who is vaccinated, who makes vaccines um, or has like vaccinated their kids? Would you ever call them an anti-vaxxer? No. <laughs> no, like that idea didn't come from the people. <laughs> yeah. And same with misinformation. Like you, you have that term misinformation. It slapped on things coming from the CDC, like their, their own communication. You've got these fact checkers putting misinformation on top of the CDC and the FDA. So it, and now I just hear people repeating that phrase again and again, or another phrase is, this is the only way out of here. Like vaccines are the only way out of here. Um, you know, I, I asked a big group of health professionals the other day. I know of several drugs through peer reviewed medical studies that are effective in treating COVID that are safe, that have long-term safety data. Um, they're even on like the NIH's list of approved treatment drugs for COVID. So it's, it, they're even up there. If they even had the tiniest bit of benefit, why wouldn't you see them everywhere if they are cheap, available, and beneficial? Why wouldn't we use this? And, and let's say that's not true. Let's say no early treatment protocols exist, which is not true. There are many. Mm-hmm. I asked them, you know, at, at the hospital here, you guys have a, a whole team devoted to looking for early treatment and, and you're trying all sorts of drugs and you're experimenting and your doctors are, you know, brainstorming together about all the different treatments. You, you guys are doing that, right? Oh, no, that, that doesn't exist. Now, I'm not saying that like no hospitals here in Canada are doing it. We're just starting to see some patients receive fluvoxamine or some patients receive monoclonal antibodies, but it's, it's little, it's little, like Florida is such a great example in this, like Canadians are living under tyranny. Florida is like, Oh, you guys are still talking about COVID. And as much as we want to vilify Florida because they didn't do well in the beginning, Florida has a cure now. And uh, nobody cares. Nobody cares or is talking about the fact that Florida has way less deaths than any other states because they're giving everyone monoclonal antibodies right now. And, you know, Canadians are just in in the dark about that. Well, and it's infuriating to watch. Like, honestly, when you like I'm a big sports fan. So when I'll watch sporting events, I'll use an example recently. Like I know that all NHL Canadian games essentially except for Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday because they get big TV ratings. They've all been postponed because we aren't allowed fans in the building. We're allowed 50 percent up to a thousand. Like it, it differs across the provinces. Right. But then recently, Minnesota hosted an outdoor game against Seattle or not Seattle, sorry, St. Louis. And I think there were 38,000 fans in attendance. They're all packed shoulder to shoulder. And you're like watching this on TV and it's like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, I can see this. Like, I can see this is, you know, in North America, this is just our neighboring country and they can do this while I'm sitting here. You know, everything's shut down. We can't even, we can't do anything as far as this. And I'm looking right next door at the next country and this is what they're allowed to do. It's, it's maddening to me. Yeah. Meanwhile, my 
12 year old, my COVID recovered healthy 12 year old is not allowed inside a movie theater or a hockey arena or in a restaurant, even though she is immune and safe and not at risk to herself or anyone. And then you have the United States stadiums filled. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like you look at college football games and they're shoulder to shoulder, 60,000 people. And you're, I don't know, like that, that part is just such a blatant, like right in the face, like slap. Like, it's like, what are we doing here? Like, I I don't know. Like, again, like how you had alluded to with your, your child, like that's my biggest fear. Like my 10 year old, you know, I, I, I don't even, I don't even hesitate to say, you know, this might happen or this is a bit out there, but I am positive that coming into the next year of soccer, which is again, to any of you who don't know what soccer is, it's an outdoor sporting event. Um, I'm sure that they're going to mandate the vaccinations between ages five and 12 in order to play any kind of team sports. And so to me, like I can handle a lot of stigmatization. I can handle a lot of that stuff. It, it, it really does roll off my back for the most part. It's it's annoying. It's frustrating, but I can take it, but I'm not going to subject my kids to that. You know, like that's, that to me is it's crazy. It's brutal. And, um, and so like, that's, that's what I'm most concerned about is the effects on kids moving forward. Because, you know, if my 10 year old can't compete in soccer, can't play with his friends, can't do anything like that. And he's going to ask me why, um, you know, that's going to be a hard discussion to have with him because I, you know, he's COVID recovered as well, you know, and it's like, buddy, you've got the antibodies, you've got adequate protection, you're healthy. Um, I don't know what else to tell you. I don't, this is out of my control. It that is the most frustrating part to me. The biggest problem is we never allowed our health experts. Um, our health our health experts never told the truth about what the real scenario was, because if they were truthful about the data and what the real scenario was, we could have actually made a a plan a plan where. Um, kids are able to go to school where the economy isn't destroyed. So the narrative that's being pushed is COVID will kill everybody. Everybody Mm -hmm. will die of COVID. The only way out is the vaccines. They are perfect, safe, and have never hurt anyone. Um, And that is not true. Now, the other side where COVID's not a big deal, it's just a flu. Uh, That's also not true. So the truth is COVID is a real and complicated disease that's hard to treat. It's absolutely worse for the flu for elderly people. It's less than the flu for younger people. Now, this is the only time that we've ever seen like a mass vaccination campaign for the entire population, regardless of their risk. Um, And it's really unfortunate to see so many healthy young Canadians terrified to live their lives because they think that they're going to die. Now, just looking at stats, like I look at world data, I don't look at kook material, I look at world data, I look at stats, like those stats haven't changed that the survival rate is over 99%, that healthy children, your risk of dying is statistically zero. And there absolutely should have been measures put in place to protect those that are vulnerable. But we never did. We we said that it was too hard to protect and isolate the old sick and frail. 
So instead they decided to isolate the entire world. I don't understand how that's easier to isolate everyone as opposed to just some people. Meanwhile, the, the one solution only fix isn't a very good one because we are looking at the serious risks of COVID, but we're also not being honest with the fact that many, many people are getting hurt from the shot and maybe didn't need the shot, or maybe they could have done early treatment instead. And if we could have just been honest about that, then we can make a better plan. Cause I, I am not an anti-vaxxer. I think I see a lot of benefit from it, especially in certain population groups, yep. but in other population groups, it has risk and that risk of COVID or risk of the vaccine, you know, that's up to the individual to determine what risks they're willing to tangle with. Yeah. And that's that again, I, yeah, that echoes my view perfectly. Like, especially with the data coming out of the UK, like you can really see that cutoff line of kind of 50 years old, where it really does show efficacy above, like it does, it does have a bit of efficacy, but again, like when you look at, when you look at even hospitalizations or well, not hospitalizations, but case numbers in general, um, you know, it's, pretty clear that it doesn't stop infection or spread, which is fine. Like, again, that's been known or been claimed for quite a while, but now that's being, you know, publicly accepted. Um, It doesn't, it doesn't really impact the spread very much because roughly the same percentage who are vaccinated are also in the case rates. So when, you know, that's fine, but it comes down to an individual decision. Like, do you want this? Because it, Ultimately, at this point, all they're even claiming that it does is protect the individual from severe disease or death, right, or hospitalization, which fair enough, like if you have, if you don't have a very high, you know, um, you don't have a very high risk acceptability in your life, then go ahead and take it like I, I would never argue I've never told anybody not to, to take the vaccine. I've just said that me personally, my decision is I'm willing to face the risk that it poses to a 32-year-old healthy adult, the disease that is, as mm-hmm. opposed to facing possible long-term or short, short-term risks, side effects of the vaccine. That's that's my personal decision. And again, now that we look at the fact that it's spreading at the same rate through the vaccinated population as is vaccinated, then nobody can argue to me that I'm posing any kind of a health risk on somebody else, you know? Despite and also the fact that I, I'm testing twice a week. So that's something that vaccinated people don't have to go through. And, you know, so I'm I feel like I'm taking adequate precaution to to prevent the spread of it, because, again, like I have the same view as you, like I, I'm not thinking that this is nothing, that it's something that we should just disregard as a threat at all. Like COVID's real. Like I, I know I have friends, I have really close friends who've had it, who got fairly sick with it, you know, the whole seven today, seven to ten day disease run of it. And, you know, it, they're lethargic. They were out of it. Like I get it. I'm not, I'm not underscoring the risk. I just think that it always, it comes down to an individual choice of what you want to do to protect yourself and what you're comfortable with that risk reward ratio, like you were talking about. And to, to forfeit uh, that decision of bodily autonomy to any governing body to me has so many farther reaching, um, you know, effects, then I think people are really thinking about or are aware of. People are really clinging to that transmission um, talk. They're saying, well, you transmit less so. 
meanwhile, there's all these studies from the Lancet saying that stigmatizing the unvaccinated is unjustified. And, and if it is less so, it's like, it's like a negligible percentage, the difference between the two. You know, I, I know vaccinated people that have gotten COVID two, three times. And then you have people saying, oh, well, I would have been way more sick if I wasn't vaccinated. Well, do you have a crystal ball? Do you know how <laughs> sick you would have been? So, and again, like this is anecdotal, but like in our household, we got COVID from a fully vaccinated family. Um, we are a mix of vaccine statuses and the most vaccinated person in our household was the sickest. The kids breezed through it. I did not vaccinate my children. They got Tylenol and vitamin C. They had a headache and had a little fever for two days and then were running around outside the next day. And I actually had guidance from a doctor. So, you know, I'm not a fool about this. I knew everything that I needed to know and how to protect them. And um, they were fine. I'm not giving any advice to anyone else. That's just what we did. Mm-hmm. Um, I breezed through it as well. I had a headache. I had a little cough, breezed through it. No problem. The fear is outrageous. It's like we can treat it seriously without being terrified of it because while this is a serious disease to treat it's being treated like the plague Mm -hmm. and it's not the plague like shame when you get it shame if you accidentally gave it to someone else i think we forgot that the metric was never no one ever gets sick again or no one ever dies again that's that's an impossible metric so especially with this being a respiratory infection, we're all going to get it. In fact, our family was so relieved when we did get it, breeze through it. Okay, good. Done and dusted. But now we have these ridiculous illegal mandates. So my COVID recovered children who have broad, long lasting immunity, they're unable to participate in society. There are threats of kicking them out of school as people talk about mandates in school, they're not allowed to play sports. Well, like according to a lot of studies, like there's a very low chance of them getting reinfected. The CDC says they have, they don't have one instance of a COVID recovered person ever spreading it to another human being. It doesn't mean that hasn't happened. I'm saying there's zero evidence of that. Right. And I, yeah. And just for clarity's sake, we should say that it's also because they haven't been tracking it, but that doesn't, but I I completely agree with you. I'm with you. Which is an excellent question of why wouldn't they want to track that? So I agree. After we got immunity, um, I, we've been refused all sorts of testing to prove that we are immune. We can't pay for it. A doctor refuses to give it to us. Public health has been informing doctors not to allow for testing. And I understand that testing is busy right now, but as someone who just like lost every single right and freedom, um, it's kind of important information to have. It's, it's not willy nilly, right? Like, and, and as a Canadian, it, it actually is the law that you have rights to your own health information, especially when, you know, I, I paid for it. It's not even the healthcare system paying. I paid for it. And it's the law 
to consent to a procedure, to have access to early treatment. And it is the law to have access to your own health information. My blood work is that, that is my health information. Yeah. And like you said, especially when you're paying for it out of pocket, like, cause I'm, I'm familiar with the same test that you're talking about. I'm looking at getting one right now. And uh, yeah, same thing. Like you, you pay the fee, uh, but then you still have to get a, a written authorization by, by your family doctor. So I, uh, I haven't actually gone in to search that out yet. I'm sure that I'll get stonewalled the same way you did then. Most likely it's happening in, in Manitoba as well as Ontario. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you would be blocked too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, uh, yeah, so much of it just doesn't make sense to me. And one of the things that I'd want to go back to that you had, you had discussed was, you know, how, how these terms of anti-vaxxer misinformation, um, conspiracy theorist even have been weaponized as like terms of stigmatization again, because everything that we're seeing, and I know that we had talked off mic before, but there was, um, there was a discussion, a few comments made by, uh, Trudy Trudeau, our, uh, our prime minister there, um, just furthering that wedge. And the thing to keep in mind too, is this is coming from the leader of Canada. This isn't some fringe podcast host or talk show host. This is from the leader of the country, somebody who's supposed to, you know, a good leader unites people under a common, common belief, a common flag, whether, you know, even if everybody doesn't agree a hundred percent, the, the idea is that you, you represent your population and you unite them as best you can. And that is the exact opposite of what terms like anti-vaxxer, um, conspiracy theorist, misinformation are doing. And again, it's getting fueled from the very top level of the Canadian government. It's hate speech and hate speech is a crime. Um, it's, it's insane. I don't know if you have that quote in front of you. I do. If you want me to I read do. it out. I okay. do. And Theo Fleury's been just posting some bangers here, but um, Trudeau said, why do we tolerate these people? They're taking up space. They're racist, misogynists who don't believe in science or progress. Like, what's the difference between Don Cherry's, you people, and Justin Trudeau's, these people? One lost his job and one is the prime minister. Like, to me, this is deflection. We're, we're not in an emergency anymore. We're two years in. So in the beginning, you could have written everything off as incompetence. I understand that this battle is nuanced and complicated. However, in, in okay, before the pandemic, our government was alerted to the need for PPE and more respirators. They never did that. And now we're two years in, we've spent $9 trillion and did they increase ICU capacity, more beds, um, funding early treatment? No, we, we fired all the nurses and doctors. We didn't get any more beds. And now the ICE, they're saying that the ICUs are getting overwhelmed. Well, what did you do to increase capacity? So it's much easier instead of asking, answering those questions, just to say it's all the unvaccinated people's fault. Those, those 10% of Canadians, uh, it's, it's all them. They're to blame. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the deflection is pretty obvious. I'm just going to read it like 
how it was quoted from from his French when he was talking about it, just so that we've got it exactly. So we're going to end this pandemic by proceeding with the vaccination. There is still a part of the population fiercely against it. They don't believe in science or progress, and they are very often misogynistic and racist. They take up some space. This leads us as a leader and as a country to make a choice. Do we tolerate these people? And that, again, that was from... Uh, the, yeah, December 29th is when that, uh, that article was posted. I think that I believe that that discussion actually took place in September, but, um, but anyway, that was when I had read it and, but it's, it's, it's bang on. It's exactly what you said. I just wanted to get his quote out there the way he said it, but, um, it's obscene to me. And again, like, you know, if it's, and like with the Don Cherry thing, like I'm not, I'm not justifying what Don Cherry said either, but I'm, but I'm just saying that. You know, the reaction to those two things, you know, Don Cherry referring to immigrants as you people and Mm -hmm. then Trudeau referring to the vaccinated as these people. One of them is completely ignored uh, by every single mainstream media outlet. One of them gets no, no attention at all. It's like, oh, yeah, that's fine. You know, they're they're dirty plague rats anyway. Who cares? And that whereas the other one, it results in this huge public shaming, um, the firing from a job. And again, I'm not. I'm not arguing. I'm not, I'm not talking about the Don Cherry thing, but the the difference in the reaction is stark. It's alarming. And again, coming from the very top of Canada, this is the discussion that he's having, and it's it is so alarming that that's that's the kind of talk that's coming right from the top because obviously that's going to bleed through. And he's he's being fed. He's you know it's kind of a it's a bit of a nasty relationship between public opinion and then his words because you know he's feeding off of some public opinion but then he's stoking the fires of everybody else too so it's just i don't know that that comment alone should be so alarming to anybody any canadian anybody anybody who's paying attention to any of this at all canadians are fleeing because they don't feel safe in canada they're they're moving to third world countries and i think i've been writing a lot about remembering our humanity because because of this kind of hate speech and dehumanizing language we're painting the unvaccinated as one kind of person these racists like these these kooks absolutely some of them are total kooks and conspiracy theorists absolutely and then there's hundreds of thousands of canadians that have so many reasons not to trust this thing because our health officials will say uh go and do this and then it's totally safe and then they quickly take it back after you've already done the thing oh it's safe to mix vaccines oh no it's not it's safe to take astrazeneca oh actually it's causing blood clots so they there's been constant mistakes throughout this pandemic so people are looking at that and very practically saying you know what i don't really trust what they're offering um you have people with severe medical conditions blood clotting disorders cancers, heart conditions who are saying, I don't think the shot is safe for me. You have people like myself who know vaccine injured individuals. I now personally know 12 vaccine injured people, everything from myocarditis, cardiac arrest, shingles, blindness, one death, like all of these things have happened within 36 hours to seven days of the shot with nothing else going on in their bodies. And every single one of them, when they reported it to their doctor, the doctor just said, oh, it's not from that. And they refused to look into it. And that's the story that you're hearing again and again and again. 
And some of them are even told, don't tell anybody about this. So Canadians think no one's been harmed by this. And what, what we really need to remember, just you can get into the complicated science of how this works. Like, let's just look at the facts. The facts is it takes a long time to know if a vaccine is safe. We push this through quickly. Whether those tests were thorough or not is debatable. There's lots of evidence to suggest that some skips were stepped, some animal steps were uh, like skipped. So we have something that we put through very, very quickly. Long-term data does not exist. In those trials, we didn't put elderly people, pregnant people, lactating people, people with pre-existing health conditions, they were omitted from the studies, yet we're telling them it's safe to go and get it. So there's a lot of people that are nervous about that. They don't want to be the guinea pigs. And we're dehumanizing them as like these uneducated monsters where they're just like kind of looking at the data and just saying, wait a minute, I don't really feel safe with this. This doesn't seem like a good idea. So this is under emergency use only. So this is a, an EUA. If that's changed, please correct me. Um, I think now, it has on Pfizer, but again, I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure. I think it has on Pfizer. Well, what is true for sure is that we are in the testing phase until 2023. So when a company puts out a new drug, and they're in the testing phase. Every single adverse reaction is supposed to be reported. And it's up to the company to prove that it wasn't a result of the drug, right? So if we're seeing an increase in myocarditis, if we're seeing an increase in death, if we're seeing an increase in stillbirths or whatever the side effect is, it's up to the company to prove the reason why those things happened. And that is not being done. And that should be a huge red flag for everyone. Yes, COVID is real and it is absolutely killing people, but we're completely turning a blind eye to side effects and we're not allowing people to make informed choice. In fact, all choice is gone. Anyone that says that this is a choice is mistaken. Having being able to feed your family and have a job that's that's not a choice oh yeah i've i've had that that argument plenty of times too um and i think it all comes back to what you had, had started that talk with was remembering our humanity and also going back to uh the differences amongst the unvaccinated i mean you're right like there look there are fringe people out there on both sides, right? There's some who yeah. think that, you know, no matter what, what, if they, if they claim you need 37 boosters, you get your 37 boosters and you shut up. And there's also people who think COVID is a hoax and it's, and yeah. trust me, you know, it's funny. <laughs> I, I just, I wanted to share this with you anyway, cause you'll probably get a kick out of it. But after our first episode, I got, um, a lot of, <laughs> A lot of those fringe people reached out to me too. Uh, it was, I don't know, it was a bit uh, overwhelming there for a bit. I thought it was, you know, whatever. I, whatever. People have a wide ranging opinion on it. I usually uh, didn't respond to a lot of that stuff, but um, I don't know. You're right. There's, there's so many different people. I mean, it's like you said, it's people with heart conditions, with, with different uh, reasons to be nervous of the vaccine. It's more, it's not that they're anti-vaxxers, you know, they're just 
you know, whether you want to call it vaccine hesitant, whatever you want to call it, there's 3.7 million Canadians over the age of 12 who are not vaccinated. Okay. For whatever varying degree of reasons. And it's, it's, it's totally untrue to paint everybody like Trudeau did as racist, misogynist, uh, against progress. Um, it's like that whole slew of derogatory terms that he used, which you said accurately, I think is hate speech. It's actually like he's, he's inciting hatred towards people for sure. You know, by painting Absolutely. everybody who's unvaccinated as that, I mean, that's, it's disgusting, especially coming from a leader, but Again, sorry, I got sidetracked there. But going back to the re- remembering our humanity, like that is one thing that I think is so important. And it's something that, you know, gets gets overlooked um, by everybody here is that we're all we're all facing this this threat, this uh, this issue together. And, you know, especially the fact that now we're kind of coming to grips with the fact that the vaccine doesn't really prevent spread very well, if at all, Um this is an individual choice. You get to go through this how you choose. And the people who say that you should just take it and shut up, I again, I'll, I'll reiterate, I don't think you understand what you're giving up when it comes to bodily autonomy and what kind of a precedent that sets from a legal standpoint moving forward. And that to me is the, the biggest issue here with what's going on and trying to remember the humanity that we're all facing this together in our own way. Yes, that the argument is not pro-vax or anti-vax it's pro-choice or medical tyranny yeah because okay so many people agree or they're 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 pro-vaccine or they are they're supportive of all these public health measures that's fine the systems that you're accepting right now which you don't think is a big deal right now because because you're for this vaccine you took it that's fine Mm -hmm. if you accept mandatory vaccines for all canadians without exemption, like, now don't get me wrong, there, there are no exemptions granted. It is next to impossible to get an exemption. Even at like, I know one lady, she had a heart attack from her first and she had to fight so hard. This is someone I know personally. She had to fight so hard to finally be exempt. Now she's still omitted from society. It didn't get her anything <laughs> like uh, so this is what's happening. So if you accept these systems, and I was trying to explain to a friend the other day, that's going to be your kid. So if this is mandated for children, if your child has a bad reaction to their first, they're not going to be exempt, most likely from their second. Mm -hmm. Is that the system you want to support? Or when the next pill comes in or the next drug comes in, because believe me, if we allow this now, this is the issue. You're opening the door to the government being able to tell you what you put in your body. And it's going to come again and again and again. And right now, like Pfizer, the CEO, he's talking about how their new technology is a swallowable microchip. They also have an implantable microchip. Sweden's putting, this sounds so conspiracy theorists. I don't even want to say it. And it's, <laughs> I was going to say, I, I hadn't heard this, but go on. <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's, uh, it's from the words. It's from the Pfizer CEO himself mm-hmm. at the World Economic Forum. There's a sitting at a round table. They are congratulating themselves on this new technology. So like in my mind, if you're saying yes to mandatory vaccines, you're essentially saying yes to one day being um, branded like cattle. Like here's your microchip. So 
people like choice must remain choice must remain and you know what if we were dealing with ebola if this was ebola that we were battling and if this was an immunizing vaccine or if you took this vaccine you would never get sick anymore and you for sure would never give it to anyone maybe i could get on board with it maybe that would make sense but that's not practically what we're dealing with yeah. there are many problems with this vaccine there are many risks associated with it and it's clearly not stopping anything yeah it has benefits absolutely there's absolutely benefit to reduction in death in some populations it's not stopping cases no and i think i think what you had pointed out there and i know we kind of we've uh, touched on a little bit here earlier is just looking at different age ranges because you know the median the median age of death i think i mentioned this in a in a recent episode in british columbia is 82 years old. Now, when I told that to my 10 year old, cause he was, you know, they have questions. Right. And I, I just asked him, I said, what do you think, what do you think is kind of uh, the age of death that what, what age do you think that COVID is really deadly to? And he's like, Oh, well probably like anybody like 28 and up. Don't ask me why he picked 28. I have no idea. I said, ah, well, you know, you're uh, close. It's actually 82 uh, is the median age of death to COVID. And he said, what really? I said, yeah, like, and, kids are statistically, you have a 0% chance of anything really bad happening to you, but like, you don't have to worry about it. And that was a few months ago, but we, uh, but that really put to bed his concerns. And then I explained to him how, you know, uh, we did have it. It was pre-testing, but we had all the same symptoms, the same timeline, everything lined up. You've already had COVID buds. So just so you know, you don't have to fear anything. And Mm -hmm. uh, it was amazing kind of just how relaxed he became after that, because he was you know, like any other kid, like I think, you know, nobody knows what to make of it. They're worried, they're scared of it. But I think taking into account the different age ranges and the different risk categories of everybody is is really important. I don't know what it's like over in Ontario, but but yeah, in BC, the median age of death is 82 years old with multiple comorbidities. So, and I don't even think age is listed as a comor- comorbidity. Like if I was 88 years old, I would kind of think that, you know, I'm near in the end anyway, <laughs> but I don't know if that maybe that's a little bit harsh to say, but um, it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's so frustrating that, that they aren't, the numbers aren't portrayed that way and that that isn't the message that's getting out. So in Ontario hospitals right now, it's disproportionately the vaccinated in the hospital and in the ICU. Now people like to say, well, that's because more people are vaccinated. Well, that's fine, but also your vaccine isn't stopping hospitalizations or deaths. So that's an important factor to look at. And and logically, do you really think that 10 to 20% of Canada's population is the reason for 100% of the problems? And because this does not stop infection, uh, transmission, if we we allow for these policies where 100% of Canadians are now vaccinated and the problems don't go away, then who are you going to blame? Are you going to blame the people that only had two shots? Are you going to blame the people that only had three shots? Because now some people are getting their fifth booster. When does the blame actually stop? Because this is a non-immunizing vaccine. So if you look at the hospital and it's 50, say it's 50-50 in there, and you got 100% of the people vaccinated, that does not get rid of 100% of the problems. Because the vaccine doesn't immunize you 
Yeah. And what I was, I was even having this discussion uh, last week with a friend who's, you know, he's fairly on board with, with everything that's going on uh, from the government's end. And uh, I just asked him, I said, you know, if we did have a hundred percent vaccine intake or uptake, do you think like, would we be clear of this completely? He said, well, no. I said, okay, then what are we really talking about here? Like, is it still fine to blame the 10%? Because, you know, and I, I do understand what, what you're saying. I know that the majority of cases in hospital or the majority of cases in general are among the vaccinated population. But like you had alluded to, the vast majority of Canada is vaccinated. And so, like I said, like, I agree with you that the vaccine has a positive effect on, you know, on hospitalizations and death, I think, especially, but that has to be broken down into age group and health categories. Like that's one thing that has never been talked about it, through all of this is just, you know, the, the, the certain health choices or the health states that really put you at risk to this disease again, because nobody wants to fat shame or nobody wants to make anybody feel bad, but let's face it. Like, obesity is one of the leading comorbidities, you know, same with heart disease or diabetes or anything like that. Like those are leading comorbidities with this. So if people want to kind of get real and talk about the real effects causing this, like, let's take a look at some personal choices too, because when it comes down to that kind of stuff, like that is a huge factor in what is going on. Right. And if we want to stop people from dying, why aren't we telling people what to do when they're at home? Yeah. We're leaving people to completely fend for themselves, relying on the vaccine only when there are so many nutraceuticals, basic vitamin care, lifestyle choices and safe, cheap home medicines that people could have at home that would have a drastic impact on their survivability. So our family was blessed enough to have a doctor um, inform us of all the things that we could do at home to take care of ourselves. There was a whole long list of things that we took and we breathed through it. And why doesn't everybody know about this? Why are we just saying stay at home until you can't breathe and then go to the emergency room? No wonder the emergency rooms are having trouble. Zero information Like we have communication from the Ontario College of Doctors and Surgeons saying, do not recommend anything to people other than the vaccine. Like don't tell people about vitamin D. Don't tell them about these other therapeutic treatments. I thought we were in a medical emergency. Yeah, exactly. Like, and even like you said, like (laughs) vitamin intake, like what negative effect is that going to have? Just tell people, you know what? maybe up your dosage of vitamin C, vitamin D, you know, mix in a little zinc here and there. If you're starting to feel sick, what harm does that have to anybody? Nothing. Like all it is, is it's preventative treatment. It's hopefully preventing more of those people getting to the hospital. But again, none of that is, is even factored in at all. So like, in fact, I don't know if you remember, but earlier on in the pandemic, when uh, I think it came out on it was probably Rogan's podcast. He seems to be the lightning rod, especially now, but talking about vitamin D. And I remember there being (laughs) articles demonizing vitamin D and saying, you know, do not take vitamin D. It doesn't have any positive effects. It's like, well, hold on. We've been taking vitamin D as a supplemental vitamin for years now. Now we can't take it. It, it doesn't make any sense. It's not going to (laughs) hurt. It's not going to hurt. Exactly. What are the negative effects of it? And, Anyway, so it's, uh, yeah, it's been, it's, it's frustrating to watch, honestly, like, and I know, I know we had talked about a few other cases, like, 
with Quebec right now, they're really going overboard. And to anybody internationally who's listening, any Canadian, I'm sure knows this, but they're talking about adding uh, air quote health tax to unvaccinated Canadians for the undue burden that we're putting on the medical system, apparently. Now, again, there's no talk of uh, an obesity tax, a smoking tax, any other kind of choice that has to do with your your medical health, your your fitness level. None of that's being talked about. But with this, all of a sudden, yeah, let's tax the unvaccinated. Yes, let's let's go over the list of absurd and appalling um, tipping points that because uh, the last article was what will be your tipping point? I, you know, this episode is the tipping point is here. Like, yeah. is, if this isn't waking you up, I, I don't know what will like one, the hospitals are now admitting that they have not been transparent with the data. Um, that it's like half, like 50% of the people are going to hospital with non COVID related issues. Now, now that was in Ontario, right? I, I haven't seen cross Canada, but I know in Ontario it was 46% were unrelated to COVID, but then they were tested positive when they got there. Right. Yes. Yeah. And there, there our health officials will go on the news and they will say the ICUs are full and most people in the hospital are unvaccinated. And then we go to Ontario public health data. You can just pull up a chart really easily and you can see in their own data, the ICUs are not at capacity. A reminder to ICUs before the pandemic were usually at capacity, but the ICUs are not full. Most telling us are just false. We also have like occurrences of them changing data overnight. Oh yeah, you were showing me that. How, yeah, that that was alarming. I also wanted to add too that in um, in BC here anyway, I've been noticing on our uh, provincial news stations is that now they've because they admitted that they you know many of those deaths that are attributed to COVID could have been died with COVID as opposed to as opposed to died due to COVID. So now even even when they release uh, the new death data, you know the daily death counts that all of us are accustomed to, you know, six hundred new cases in BC three new deaths. Now it used to be three new deaths due to COVID. Now it's three people infected with COVID have passed away. So it's little wording like that, that, you know, it pay attention to it. I guarantee you, you check the next time that it's reported. It's three people died who were infected with COVID, not three people died of COVID anymore because, you know, that somebody shone a light on that, that it's like, well, hold on. You say that 24, 2,500 ish people have died due to COVID here, but we have, this, 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 and this, that they actually died unrelated. They just tested positive, but it's counted as a COVID death. So now they're having to even reword that. So pay attention to the little things like that. Like that's, again, that's all it takes. <laughs> it's just looking at the little wording because it's been, it has been manipulated and now they're kind of starting to get their peepees smacked about it. Well, and this Quebec punishment tax for the unvaccinated saying that it is your fault that the hospitals are overwhelmed. Um, what are the demographics in the hospital? Like we know that 75% of the people had an average of four comorbidities or that they're of a certain age or of a certain BMI. So with a law like that, so does that mean that we are going to tax people more if they have a higher BMI, drug and alcohol addictions, mental health issues, if they don't exercise and, and eat healthy to cover their burden on the healthcare system? Like, of course not. That is so discriminatory. That is outlandish. So 
if you look at like a young, healthy person that takes very good care of themselves, who breathes through COVID, they are now COVID immune. They're not a burden to anyone. They never went to the hospital. They were never going to go to the hospital. They're going to be taxed. Yeah. And they're it's, immune right now. Yeah. So anyway, so I, I completely agree with you as far as these discriminatory taxes on different people's choices on, on, you know, like you said, BMI, I, you know, whether it's smoking, it's, if it's, if it's uh, alcoholism or drug addiction, whatever the case may be. I mean, what even if, what if let's say you're considered to have an undue risk, I guess, of, you know, having a child with medical issues, whether it be, you know, mental deficiencies or physical deficiencies, like, are you then not allowed to procreate? Like, is there going to be rules around that? Because, well, let's face it, your kid is going to cost more to the medical system in Canada. And because you carry a higher risk, like you just shouldn't be allowed to have kids. Like how far do we take this as far as um, discriminatory practices based on people's medical choices or their life choices? That's right. Yeah. Like, you know, being an alcoholic is a choice you could say Mm -hmm. Uh, like people love to just throw that um, in people's faces. Well, not being vaccinated is a choice. Okay, well, what if you've been trying to get pregnant for 10 years and are doing in vitro right now and you do not feel comfortable getting this vaccine? That's not a black and white choice. What if you have a pacemaker that you got when you were 17 and you're very concerned about the heart issues that are a side effect of this vaccine? That's not an easy choice. What if you had a heart attack from a flu vaccine? These are all people that I know. Yeah. Like I had a friend say, well, I just don't think it's that important that you can go to a restaurant or the movie theater. And, and I said, you know what? I think people are more concerned about the fact that their prime minister is giving them hate speech saying that they will be taxed and locked in their homes and won't be allowed to work and won't be able to leave the country. And they must take a sacrificial risk with a vaccine that does even rare. These side effects are rare the side effects include death. You well, can't. Not, yeah. And, and like I said, like it all comes down to, especially with the waning efficacy or negligible efficacy of preventing transmission and spread. This only comes down to a decision about your personal health. That's all this comes down to. And yes, you can argue that it, it provides protection against hospitalization and death. Perfect. If that's what you'd like to, like, if you, let's say I'm 75 years old and I am not in great shape and, you know, I don't have to worry about long-term health effects at that point. I honestly, I don't. And I, you know, I have grandparents, I have elderly adults in my life who I would absolutely like recommend them get the vaccine because they don't realistically, they're done having kids. They don't have any issues that they're having to worry about when it comes to long-term side effects. It's really, it's not, it's, it shouldn't be a concern and it probably isn't a concern. Again, I would never mandate them to tell them they had to, but I would say it's probably a good idea. But if you're 30 or and in good health, or if you're 10 or you're eight or you're five years old and you've never seen any of this, there's no way to know any long-term safety data on this stuff. Why on earth would you substitute, let's say as a six-year-old, your statistically 0% chance of death or any serious effects from the disease? Why would you substitute that 0% for an unknown risk in the future. And then why would you mandate that on all kids? Like I could talk to my grandpa who's 87. I can guarantee you he wouldn't want it mandated on my kids, on his great grandkids. 
you know, he took the vaccine. He's, he's boosted everything. And I fully support him. Like he's 87 years old. He should have the best protection that he can right now in the here and now and not worry about long-term effects. He has no reason to worry about what's going to happen 15 years down the road. Like that's just honestly real, real speak. He, he has no reason to worry about what's going to happen in 15 years. So for him makes perfect sense, but you can't mandate that across all ra- age ranges and all risk assessments. And anyway, I know we're repeating that same, same thing again, but I really do think it, it, it only comes down to a personal health choice at this point and it should not be mandated. No. And I know a cardiologist who said that he's seeing five and six year olds with hearts like 90 or 90 years old, like That's little. Crazy. Old. Yeah. So are most kids fine when they take the shot for now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are the long-term consequences? Like when our health unit puts out communication saying that there are no long-term consequences, there are no fertility issues. There's nothing to worry about cancer. The truth is we don't know. The and truth is, we don't know. That's all they should say is we don't know. And then you yeah. can make that decision yourself because I completely agree with you. If they say there is no long-term risk of this, that's a bold-faced lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. You can say, I don't know. And that's probably on the most honest approach to it. But I, I, you know, it's funny. I was just reading an article actually yesterday about how I think vaccine uptake among five and 11 year olds, they say has dropped off a cliff. And it's like, yeah, no shit. Like you got the, the 30% of adults who are terrified of this stuff and will take your story hook, line and sinker. They went right away. The rest of the population is saying, no, <laughs> I'm not vaccinating my five-year-old. He has no need to take it. No. And I, I am, I am, uh, I am kind of happy to see that. I think vaccine uptake apparently from what I've seen in five to 11 year olds is something around 36%, which kind of actually lines up to what we had talked about last time you were on was the mass formation and the 30%, 30%, and then the 40% kind of in the middle. Um, so that middle, I don't think is being swayed to vaccinate their kids in any kind of realistic numbers. No. And, and just because I'm pro-choice too, if it's a parent, it is a parent's right to decide if, if they think that their child should have the vaccine by all means, I would never judge another parent for their choice, but the vilification that parents are getting on the other side is outrageous because their decision to abstain is very logical. Yeah, I agree. I think I'm, maybe it's just because there's been so much of this stuff. I think I'm less, uh, less open and understanding to other parents who do vaccinate their kids. I do understand it's their choice, but I, I think I'm a little bit, I, I think I'm getting, uh, I don't know, hardened a little bit to that viewpoint. <laughs> it, it drives me crazy. It drives me absolutely crazy. But yeah, I, I do agree with you, you know, uh, in general. So when, so we can like get wrapped up in talking about the vaccine forever. Yeah. I think we need to look up and look at the politics of, of what's happening because people are, are going to, at this point, you're, you've just picked a side, um, pro-vax or anti-vax, that's fine. But look up, look at what's happening in politics and the dangerous steps that our government is is taking, like the hate speech from our prime minister. Um, Our media and our public health officials are getting caught in lies daily where we have these unjustified punishment taxes. We've completely dissolved the Canadian constitution, our, our rights to free speech, 
bodily autonomy, the right to work and feed our family. The Canadian patient rights have been completely dissolved. Your right to consent, your right to access your medical information. They're not letting people test themselves for immunity. Like this is, this is so, so dangerous. Meanwhile, you have the complete destruction of the economy. When lockdowns haven't been proven to mitigate this pandemic. And, you know, it's like you almost have to go to sarcasm here. Like, I'm not saying the government is a totalitarian Marxist system where they're trying to destroy the middle class and, and crush our economy and, and create a huge upward um, flow of wealth from the lower class to the upper class. But if they were, what would they be doing differently? <laughs> like, yeah. And it, I th- rings of communism to me in, in every single shape, way and form. Yeah, I mean, whatever, whatever title you want to, to put on, because I know that's, you know, it's a hot button topic and a hot button discussion point. One that I, I agree with you on, but whatever, you know, to anybody, if it, if that's not the take, not the viewpoint that you have, like, just just analyze it then for what it is, you know, like, let's just look at what has happened, the the net result of what has happened. I mean, the middle class has been hammered. The the lower income class has been decimated. I mean, the the effects of inflation are always felt by the bottom rungs of the economic ladder, the hardest and the fastest, right? And I mean, I know that the inflation data coming out of, you know, the the federal government, they have some number around 4.7%. But anybody who is actually living, buying groceries, or heaven forbid, trying to get into your first house, because that's where you really see the inflated prices. Um, good luck. And that 4.7% number is a joke. It's an absolute joke. I know that we've I'm doing taxes right now, because you know, they'll be due in uh, April. But um, I'd say for groceries, we've probably spent uh, around 12% more this year than the year before. So, you know, take that 4.7% 4. 4. never and shove it up your ass because there's no way that that's accurate. And house prices, like, I don't know if it's like this where you are, but they've probably jumped about 20, 25% in the last year, maybe even 30%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for what other reason? Like if you're in the middle of a pandemic, why do you expect, you know, house prices to go through the roof or all of this stuff? And I understand supply chains and shutdowns of of uh, factories and production and all that stuff. I get that. But, you know, this stuff, like especially the money printing, I had seen a stat that I believe 40 percent of Canadian dollars in circulation today have been printed in the past 20 months. Right. which is insane to inflate your currency like that and devalue your currency like that. And again, if you, if you're fortunate enough to, you know, stock it or put a shit into the stock market or push it into real estate or some type of investment that will, will balloon with inflation, then you're laughing. I mean, on paper, you're, you just made a shitload more money this year, but if you are living paycheck to paycheck and now your dollar buys 60 cents worth of stuff, as opposed to $1 worth of stuff, that's hammering you. That's completely crippling you. And that's that's the difference. That's what people, I think, need to understand with inflation is that it completely unfairly hammers the lower class. And it is an exact, it's a direct cause of what's been going on and how they've been handling the pandemic, sprinkling out this helicopter money, all these SERB benefits, everything else. 
that shit isn't free. Like you and I pay for it. Every Canadian pays for it. It's just being created out of nothing and it's devaluing every penny that we have. That's right. So you're crushing most small businesses. You're raising exponentially inflation and interest rates while simultaneously creating a universal basic income system. So dependency on the government. You have a state led uh, news media. So like CBC is government owned. You have government owned healthcare and doctors. So the government actually gets to dictate to doctors how they doctor. Um, I mean, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. It's probably a duck. And like you you had said there, I just want to say one thing too, like when it comes to uh, UBI, CERB, whatever, like, and again, it's to be fair, it's not UBI at this stage, but I mean, you can read a lot of articles from, you know, national broadcasters who are discussing the idea of should we just transition CERB, which is the COVID emergency response benefit. I don't know. They've renamed it now because they ran out of funding on that program, but whatever that is named now, they, there is a lot of talk about just transitioning this to a UBI. But keep in mind that, you know, right now, if you are fired or let go from an employer and you're unvaccinated, you're not you're not uh, able to collect EI, which is employment insurance, which we as Canadians all pay into for our entire working life just for that safety net. In case you get fired or you can't work, you get to collect a minor little income that you've paid into for your entire life. That's got a contingency now only if you're vaccinated. So, you know, again, it's all this pressure. It's all just pushing it into one direction. And I agree with you completely. I I, I agree. It walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck. So I think every single Canadian needs to be aware that um, our freedom as Canadians, like living in a free democratic country, um, it's it's really at its tipping point right now. And I think we need to take our eyes off of this vaccine and this health campaign completely. And I think you need to look at politics. You absolutely need to look at these very obvious and dystopian slips towards some sort of communism. You absolutely need to look at the financial system that is breaking down. And in some ways it it looks like it's intentional. Like how how do we break the system as fast as possible? Because, you know, we're, we're two years in. There is no way that we're dealing with incompetence at this point. It, Trudeau shutting down all um, our truck drivers right now. He knows what that's going to do to the people when you completely shut down the supply chain. It was already a mess. And now you're going to take 30,000 truckers out. Like that, that's not incompetence. He, he knows what's about to happen. It's not good. Right. And I, I don't know, just to be fair, I don't know what percentage of those truckers will be affected by this this vaccine mandate. But you're you're completely right. It's I mean, you know, we've already seen. Sorry, it's not going to be good. Whatever. No, no, I agree completely. I mean, we've already seen it with the with nurses and doctors, you know, when you wipe out those who are unvaccinated, all of a sudden it just creates more of a burden like it's it, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Like, what are we doing here? And uh, I I completely agree. I, I don't know if you, do you ever follow Pierre Polyev, the conservative yeah. shadow minister for finance? Yes. And watching oh my what, God. the joke it is in there. Where's the he's, money coming from? He's he is <laughs> the best. He's literally he's the only person in politics who I like in Canada right now. And if, if there's any Canadians listening, like definitely check out Pierre Polyev and the, the videos that he 
he puts out on his YouTube channel on, on his socials because it'll make you laugh, but it'll also make you infuriated at the response from the Liberal caucus because he's, he's roasting them right in the middle of Parliament and they just keep repeating the same Fed to line. And he's right. just like, he's like, I could speak to a computer or, you know, you could have just recorded this. You didn't have to come in today. And they're just like, repeat the same thing. They're robots. It's again, like I said, it's hilarious, but it's infuriating at the same time because you realize that 40% of the money that you make is going to pay these incompetent idiots on the Hill. And like you said, I think I'm going to name this episode. Please look up. <laughs> just that's like kind yes, of a play. That is so good. I think well, I'm going to name this. What I like up. about Pierre is he asks the simplest of questions. And again, we yes. don't need nuanced, complicated, scientific arguments anymore. We actually don't need them at this point. So like when Pierre says, I'm not signing this new bill that says it costs six billion until you tell me where that money comes from. And they have no answer for him. Yeah. Like I'm not getting a vaccine until you tell me why I need it being a COVID recovered, naturally immune person. Why would I vaccinate my kids when they have a 0% chance of dying? What is your reason? What is the reason for mandates when it doesn't stop transmission you know these just very basic questions or yeah my favorite well what happens when a hundred percent of us are vaccinated and all the problems are still here yeah will there be a big apology oh never 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 and yeah i i agree i wanted to highlight kind of one more uh you know you had talked about how the tipping points are here and i had wanted to highlight one that I really think is alarming because it, it reaches farther outside of just the vaccine status that's cited in this article, but uh, hold on, sorry, I should have had this prep, but my, uh, I'm reloading it, but it has to do with uh, a ruling on visitation rights for a parent, for a father. So this is the quote from this story by CBC, which is again, the Canadian news broadcasters. It, the, the name of the article was Quebec judge suspends unvaccinated man's visitation rights with child. So again, <laughs> They're kind of labeling it on this vaccine status, which is evident in the article, but it says, uh, so one of the quotes, so Justice J. Sebastian Valancourt wrote that posts on the father's Facebook page suggested he was a conspiracy theorist, which led the court to doubt that he was following health rules as he claimed. Now, the alarming thing here, obviously, aside from, you know, monitoring people's social medias, which we all already know happens, um, but also the fact that this is clearly aimed at the fact that he's unvaccinated. They're saying that he is an undue risk to his child, which we know is false. Um, but the biggest thing here that reaches outside of this whole vaccine discussion period, the ruling which led the court to doubt he was following health rules. So there wasn't even proof. There's no requirement for evidence. They doubt that he's actually being truthful in, in court. They doubt that he's following the health rules. There's no evidence. There's no statement that he was doing this. He, he violated some kind of health order here or there. They're ruling now on parents' abilities to see their child on the basis of doubt. No burden of evidence, no burden of proof. If the court looks at your, you know, your viewpoints, your discussions, the fact that you may have a different opinion than them on certain things. They can doubt the fact that you're following the rules. And that's enough evidence to deny you the rights to see your own child. And that to me is terrifying. Like when I, 
when I posted that, like I had a lot of friends who I know are extremely pro vaccine, who are extremely pro what is going on. And they even commented and reacted like, what the fuck? Like, this is, this is a ruling based on doubt. This isn't based on evidence. This is based on having an ideological viewpoint that's opposed to whatever this court justices was. And that to me is so alarming for a viewpoint that, that our judicial system isn't even operating in this case on the basis of evidence anymore. It's based as, it's based on doubt and an ideological difference. That's right. And because of these policies of these nonsensical policies of hate and discrimination and these like dystopian tyrannical mandates for everyone, these heartless, like you'll lose your job, you'll lose your kid, these, um, the threat of federal mandates, the, the harder they come down on us, the more I know it's not good for me. <laughs> the, exactly. At this point, like, come and get me. You're going to have to come to my house and I'm going to fight you. Like, I know, I know from what you are doing that this is not a good choice. Yeah, it's, uh, I agree. And that that's, but that's, again, that's one reason why I'm a little bit hopeful because I think every time they come down with the hammer, which is the only tool that they have in their toolbox, more people kind of wake up to this a little bit and they say, hold on, like, what are we doing here? Like I've played along for the last 18 months and I'm still shut out. Now I'm shut out of society. Like what is happening here? And I do think that that, um, I do think that, that people are starting to wake up a little bit. Although I must say I was pretty disheartened. I don't know if the the numbers were accurate, but, and this was pathetic to me when uh, Quebec announced that they were going to be requiring the vaccine passport to buy weed and um, like liquor in liquor stores and marijuana dispensaries that all of a sudden the uptick for first inoculations jumped by like four times or something. And I was like, that is pathetic. You know, if, if that's the straw, so that, that's true. That we've is true. Lied so many times. I doubt that that is true. And so at this point, you, whether you've done it or you didn't do it, at, at this point, the laws that are saying we can fire you, we can unjustly tax you, we're going to take away your kids if you go to court, if, if that hasn't woken you up, and what will? Will anything wake you up at this point? Or, you know, you keep seeing this slogan, like, we're in this together, except for the unvaccinated. We'll fire you, take your kids away, lock you up in a detention center. Like, we won't even feed you. You can't even get food anymore. Like, right. what will... Will it wake you up when they're jailing unvaccinated or fining unvaccinated? Or if we put them in detention centers, like, and people think that that's ludicrous. I'm like, all of this is ludicrous. You should have woken up a long time ago. This is not something to say like, oh, that's weird that they did that. No, it's not just weird. It's horrific. Yeah. It's dangerous. I agree. This this crosses the border from where you could have said, like you had said, um, incompetence or insanity. You know, this this specific one with denying a father's visitation rights to a child, like that's evil. And that's that's not incompetence, that's not insanity, that's just evil, that's malevolence. And I I think that you make a really good point in saying, you know, start looking up, like start looking at, you know, how it's into the legal system, how it's being discussed from the prime minister, how how the social programs are working again, like if you're unvaccinated, you aren't even allowed the social safety net that you've paid into for your entire life, for your entire working life, EI, which we have here for again, employment insurance, but 
unless you get on on board with the government's messaging, you can't even access that social safety net, which I think was a pride of Canada. You know, we try to take care of everybody. We've always been inclusive. We've been I think we've been very humanity centered as long as I can remember. You know, that's one of the reasons why I'm proud to be Canadian and why I hope that people remember that they remember that we're all we are all in this together, you know, not in the way that they're trying to say it where except for the unvaccinated like we are all in this together we're all facing this same threat this same issue we just have different ways to go about it but we can't forget our humanity as canadians no and we are you know i i have vaccine injured friends who have lost their friends because their friends told them they can never tell anyone about their real injuries mm. i've lost friends for saying that I know vaccine injured people, like they've called me a liar. I've lost friends for saying we shouldn't judge people for their personal medical decisions. And I get a lot of messages from people in my work saying, I really support what you're doing. I wish I could speak up, but I'm afraid of losing friends or losing my job. And personally, at this point, at, to see how bad it's gotten, I don't care anymore. You know, I, I'm going to like, I'm still going to love everyone and create space if they ever change their mind and want to come back. Mm -hmm. But I am not holding my tongue. I will not be bullied to say, don't ask any questions. No, how dare you say we shouldn't be non-discriminative. Like this is the, we're at war. In my opinion, we are at war. We're at the tipping point where the world is about to drastically change. We're creating some very dangerous systems. And for me, it is worth me losing friends, clients, everything, because I can look myself in the mirror at the end of the day. I it think that's the most important thing. That's such a big thing. And I, again, like, I think I'm, I don't know, I'm maybe becoming a little bit more frustrated and less tolerant to some of the stuff, but the cowardice that you had talked about of, you know, I agree with you, but I don't want to speak out. I don't want to stick my neck out. That, that to me drives me more crazy than the people who are fully on board with what is going on, because you know that they, they aren't on board, but they're denying themselves. They're denying, you know, they're, they're actually weakening they're, they're weakening the stance that they believe in by not speaking up. And I think that that level of cowardice is infuriating. That's, that's yeah. one that, that drives me insane. Like if, if, you know, if I got messages like that, I, there's no way I, I would respond or because otherwise it would just, I know it would turn ugly because that to me is the most frustrating thing is when people do believe, you know, something, but they won't speak up for it. You know, that silence, if you have something to say, then silence is a lie. That's one of my favorite quotes by Jordan Peterson and uh, it's just, it's so applicable to this. Like if you, if you do feel right. this way, stand up, like add your voice to it, like make yourself heard because if not, if not now, then when, like you said, like what is right. going to be your tipping point? And you don't need to do it on a podcast. Nope. You don't need to do it on social media. And, you know, I was silent for a year. It, we're all going to come to this in our, in our own time. And, you know, I tell people, we all have our ways of fighting. Um, I fight with some very powerful organizations and I fight very loud on um, these platforms, but that doesn't mean that has to be your way. It can be in standing up to your friends. If your friends won't let you have a conversation about this, they are not your friends. Yeah. You should be able to at least talk about these things civilly. 
If they can't, they're not your friends. They're not worth keeping around. Like you got nothing to lose. I agree. Nothing to lose. And, and and honestly, only things to gain at this point. Like, I don't know. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating to deal with that level of cowardice. So if we leave on a high note here, what I would like to say is a lot of people are waking up. And if you feel alone, especially if you're in like small town Canada, like I am, and you think you are all alone, most people now think this is ridiculous. Now they might be double, triple vaccinated, but you know, as soon as Omicron came around the corner, I think almost the whole world went, wait a minute. And if you just watch regular media now, this narrative is crumpling. You have Teresa Tam saying masks actually don't do anything. The only thing that would work is a respirator, but everyone ignored that. We have like, we're handing out PCR tests and rapid tests, and they're also simultaneously telling us that they don't work. You have all sorts of people watching what's happening in Quebec or Australia, and they're realizing that this is horrific. And I'm noticing more and more people speaking up. And we're also seeing legally a lot of these things are getting shut down. You're seeing regular media talk about the atrocity, like the atrocious language of Trudeau. We're watching um, bills get shut down. We're watching schools get shut down with notices of liability so they can't mandate this for your kid. Um, There's people fighting out there, but what's important to remember is don't rely on everyone else to do it for you. We all have to stand up, whether you are double vaxxed or never going to take it, you need to stand up to the illegal activities of the government because they are absolutely unjust. Absolutely. And I, I just wanted to add to that further too. Like, I think, I think that's, that's a huge point, you know, stand together, kind of add your voice, make your voice heard. And as far as another really good story too, I, we had been talking about it off mic, but <clears throat> there was a, a couple from Kelowna, British Columbia, who were staying in Vancouver. Uh, their son, their four-year-old son is being treated for leukemia at Vancouver General Hospital, I believe, or Vancouver Children's probably, which is a fantastic hospital, by the way, they've treated my kids um, a number of times, but they uh, they were staying at Ronald McDonald's house and they were getting kicked out based on their vaccination status. It was basically anybody five and above who's unvaccinated can't stay there. And the argument of Austin and Lindsay Ferguson, that was the, the parents. They're a young couple, but they um, they were saying, you know, if our four and a half year old, if he was six months older, he would have been getting kicked out of here, too. And they said, well, no, we're just kicking you guys out as the parents. And they're like, OK, so the whole family was getting kicked out of this place. They found another place to go to, which was great. It's uh, I believe it's called Easter Seals House. Uh, they will take them in regardless of their vaccination status while they're down there for their son's cancer treatment. And yeah, and they originally had one of their friends, a family friend had uh, set up a GoFundMe for them uh, with a goal of $5,000 to help with, you know, offsetting the fact that they're missing work. They don't have any income coming in while they're staying away with their, their son. And that is now over, it's just under $169,000 since that story went viral. Um, and when you read the comment section of all the donations, it's, you know, people from all around the world, not even just Canada, but donating saying like, you don't deserve this, like this level of discrimination is disgusting, like um, just wishing them the best. And it's, it's really inspiring and pretty remarkable to see just how complete strangers are coming together to donate to this family. And what a life-changing event, you know, like 
Yeah, I, I can't even imagine what they must be feeling after going through that, being threatened to be kicked out of Ronald McDonald House, finding another house to take them in, and then also just looking at this outpouring of support across the across Canada and the globe for them financially. Yes, yeah, no, people care. People care. And it's never too late to change your mind. It's never too late to jump on board. I guarantee you that the pro-choice people will welcome you like open arms. Um, And don't be afraid to speak out for what is right. Like, I think people know deep down in their souls that this is not right. Like, you don't have to be secret, like secretive about saying that. And, you know, even have our own RCMP wanting Canadians to report anti-government talk. Well, I saw that. Unless you want a Marxist government, I highly suggest you speak more about this because yeah. this, this is not democracy. This is not what it means to be Canadian. We live in a glorious and free country that cares about each other. This is not that. This is not what's happening right now. So it's, it's time to talk. It's time to get loud. It's time to normalize um, your opinion. There's no reason why only one side gets an opinion. Everyone gets an opinion. Keep talking. Keep fighting. Exactly. And remember, one of the key pillars of a free society, of a free country, is civil disobedience. So the the ability and, you know, the fortitude to stand up against unjust laws, you know, and that's that's something to keep in mind, you know, even if it comes down to supporting uh, a fitness facility that's defying public health orders and they're still staying open so that people can can work out for their own reasons, or it's a restaurant that will allow anybody to come in and sit down and eat, regardless of whatever status, whatever medical choice they choose, support these places, because those are those are little acts of civil disobedience that that lead to greater movements when you know, keep in mind that we outnumber the government. I don't even know what the number would be, but it will be massive. And if they see that the population isn't putting up with it anymore, they're powerless. You know, they remember that they work for us. So when you look up, just remember that those guys, they work for us and um, they should be they should be reacting to what the population wants and what the population demands, as opposed to ruling from some golden throne. That's right. Yeah. Support those businesses, the ones that are no longer taking these rules, the ones that refuse to be discriminative, the ones that are choosing to stay open. Like they're, they still care about people. They're following all the rules. They're keeping people safe. That's not what's going on. Like support those businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I still had my yoga studio. I would for sure be open right now, mm-hmm. open to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, that. So those are, those are kind of the highlights, the ones that I like to look at and they give me hope. So, um, well, I think we can probably wrap it up here. This went longer than I assume both of us actually thought it would, but, (laughs) but thank you for, (laughs) thank you for staying here this long. And, uh, you know, I mean, if, if in another couple of months, we still haven't seen anything turn around or whatever, or we can just keep, keep doing this every once in a while. I love these discussions because I, I do get tired of sitting here by myself and uh, doing podcasts. Sometimes I like talking about this stuff with people. So thank you. So good. No, it's good. Let's keep the conversation open. And hopefully the next time we're on here, we can talk about all of the wins and, and there's not a whole new list of things that are absurd and appalling. Amen. Well, thank you very much, Carla. <laughs> and if you're fine with it, I'll link your uh, socials in the podcast description this time. Yes, absolutely.
Awesome. Well, thank you very much and have a great day. Thank you, Zach. All right, everyone. That's it for today. I hope you found some value in this week's episode. If you did and are interested in more content like this, please rate, review, subscribe, and recommend the podcast to a friend. I really appreciate all the feedback you've given me to this point and look forward to hearing from you again. As always, the podcast page is The Plaid Jacket Philosopher on Facebook, at Jacket Plaid on Twitter, and at Plaid Jacket Philosopher on Instagram. That concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for the continued support, and especially to those of you who reach out weekly with comments on each episode. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you all again soon.